Open up your Bibles to Ephesians, the second chapter. About three weeks ago, this will be our third one, we uh, started a series. And sometimes, you know, you start, you don't know how long you go. But uh, we started a series called uh, Knowing God's Will and Design. And um, so we're going to read some different things. We've looked at different things that are important for us to know how to know God's will. Because we can... It's ringing up here pretty good. It, we can know God's will and design personally. And God wants us to know his will. He wants us to know his design. We, he, wa- he wants us to know. Sometimes people say, well, you can never know what God's going to do. You may not know what God wants for you. And those are really not true statements. They are just things that have been perpetrated and somebody picked it up and, and they weren't based on fact. And so, does God want you to know his will, to know his ways, and to walk in his will, and walk in his ways? The answer to that would be yes. And so, we're going to share something this morning about his will that I believe is super important for anybody who's going to walk in God's will. And this is big time. No matter how old or how young you are, this is big time. Now, I know that we shared about the Word of God and things like that and seeing things out of the Word direct us in God's will, and there are multiple things we need to look at, I believe, that are of value. But this right here in Ephesians 2.10, to me, is kind of what takes you from one way of life to another. And it's, it's important. It's a step that will take you from where you are to where you need to be, so to speak, Uh, when you understand this. And really, people can't walk in the will of God like they should without this happening in their life. Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are His. Now, we're not just His, but we are. When you give your life to the Lord, you are His. But it doesn't stop right there. When you give your life to the Lord, you are His. The Bible said you've been bought with a price Therefore, because of that, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are his. But notice it didn't stop there. He said, for you are his, his what? Well, we are his possession, but it says you are his workmanship. You are his workmanship. That right there, you being his workmanship, who is his workmanship? Every Christian. And what workmanship is he talking about? Workmanship is an interesting thing, and uh, we can't evaluate his workmanship just on our own opinions and our own ideas. You know, when I was younger, I liked art, and uh, when you first start out, there are some kids, like when we were in junior high, there were guys that probably, there were one or two, they could do caricatures of people, of school teachers and everything, that were awesome. I mean, they were really cool. That was their workmanship. Well, when I was younger, I, I had workmanship. I remember they'd tell us, everybody, you know, you get to make a craft with clay. You remember those days when they used to allow you to do that? And then they'd, you'd paint it with that clear stuff, you know, and then they put it in the oven, burn it, light it on fire, get it hot, and it would get glassy and hard, and you have this thing you take it home. Well, they told everybody to make this one thing, so I made my own thing. I made an alligator. And the parent, the, when they had the parent-teacher thing, and they were, they didn't understand, so they had to have to talk to my parents about this, you know. 
you know, I saw no need in an f- ashtray or something like that, uh, an alligator. So I'm, it look, I, they still have it. It's actually not a bad alligator for 12th grade. No, wait, <laughs> second grade, probably, or first or second grade. But I brought it home. I even used the green color. It had arms and legs. Its mouth was open and had the tail, and I pinched, I remember, down the tail. I, was, I mean, it might have been first, second grade, somewhere in there. You know, the older you get, the worse it would look. So I've got to move the age down. But, but I brought it home, and the parents, the parent-teacher thing, when they went, because, you know, the night when everybody goes to the school and you have the open house, you know, and they put the stuff on display, well, they've got all these things that are one thing, and then they have mine. Well, that was my creation. That was my workmanship. By what you saw, you know what it was, or something like it, you know, either a, a lizard or something. But notice it says, for we are his workmanship. Who is he writing to here? He's writing to people who have given their lives to Jesus. He's talking to people who have been what the Bible calls born again. So we are his workmanship. What, what kind of workmanship is it? You've you got to evaluate it based on what he said, not what we think. But every one of us that are saved, we are his workmanship. Now, don't look at your life for what you've done, what you're doing, but look at your life based on what he did is a very important thing if we're going to walk in God's will correctly because we are his workmanship. This does, is not just talking about what I did today or what I'm going to do tomorrow per se, but it's talking about what he did when I got saved. He's talking about what he did to you when you got saved. That was when his workmanship took place. Now, he's going to shape your life. He's going to try to influence your life. He's going to do things in your life. But when he's talking about this workmanship here, he's talking about something that happened to you the day you said, Jesus, I receive you as my Lord, or however you did it, and you called on him and you got saved. You were right then worked on, so to speak. You became his workmanship. He took you and made you into something you were not before. But he didn't do it physically. And he didn't do it mentally. But he did it spiritually. And that's super important. Because otherwise, you know, the enemy can take advantage of people. And you give your life to the Lord and you really sense a change. Something happened in me. And then you start moving along and all of a sudden you've got a bad thought. And you're like, I thought I was saved. And the devil is the one who gave you the thought, and he'll encourage you to tell you, well, if anybody is saved, they sure wouldn't think like you're thinking right now. Well, he's just he can plant thoughts, and then he can try to use them against you. And they weren't even originated by you. But he'll get you to look at different parts of your life, but the spiritual part of your life, your spirit, was God's workmanship. When you got saved... He worked and did something in you. Notice this. It says, for you are his workmanship created. Created. So this workmanship was a creation. Now remember, God created the earth 
from a bad state when it was in utter chaos and destruction and darkness was on it. And he spoke and, and he started changing things and he, he made stuff that perpetuated life and made life different on the earth. Right? He made trees that would reproduce and live on. And he did different things and made animals and did all kinds of stuff. Well, we're a new creation. A different creation. And we are created, the Bible said, in Christ Jesus. And here's what you were made for. For good works. For good works which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. He prepared you for something, and He had stuff prepared for you to do before you ever did it. And then He recreates you when you give your life to the Lord so that you might walk in them. In other words, He makes you into something to do something and to become something in life. When, uh, you know, I, when I went to this restaurant the other night to get some food to go, they had some books there. And you could buy them or, in my case, look at them. And so I started looking and they had pictures of Arizona and its history and, you know, how it was then and how it is now and before, you know, shots of even the old ones. And they had some of the dams, you know, that are local here. And it's interesting, those dams were created for a purpose. We call them part of the Salt River Project. One purpose of building a dam was to reserve enough water, or hold back water, so that it could be released, so it could plenish the area with water in dry times, so that farmers could plant stuff and then not die when it gets real hot here but they could keep it alive and produce, then other ones actually are built, and as the water flows through, because the water was there, but now those dams were created to produce electricity. They were created to produce something. Now you become a new creation in Christ, created unto good works. The work of that dam is more than just creating electricity. But think of the benefit once it got created. And that is the purpose of that thing. But think of the pleasure it brings to people too. The dam does. Right, without the dam, many times there aren't lakes. How many people go to the lake and just enjoy the view? How many people go to the lake and get out on a boat and think this is great? How many people get out on the lake and swim, fish, do sail, all these other things because something was created? And I'll tell you what, with the Christian life, if we're going to know God's will, we need to recognize we were recreated or created new in Christ. And there are things that people cannot really do properly until they get saved. And then once you're saved, if you're going to walk in God's will, you need to know that you were created for something. Just like that dam was created. I mean, you think about it. If, if our power went out and stuff like that, could you imagine how all of us would feel all of a sudden it gets dark? You know, bam, power's out. Well, what if we came to find out that 
going back up the channels, so to speak, up the cables to the substations, that the dam quit producing. We would be perplexed and think we're not enjoying the benefit because the dam has been built, the dam was created to produce electricity, and that electricity will bless humanity, and something happened. But the dam was made for that. And I'll tell you what, understanding what you were made for and how you were made and what you are and what you are not is vital. Because some people are a dam that's made to produce electricity, so to speak, but they don't produce it because they think totally wrong about themselves. You with me? They, they think totally wrong about themselves. They don't recognize who they are, what they have, how they were created. And so they think, well, I'm a scumbag. You know me. I gave my life to the Lord. I'm just a sinner. But the issue is you may sin, but you were not created that way once you got saved. You're no longer really a sinner because people need to understand this. If I give my life to the Lord, that doesn't mean I won't sin, but it makes me not a sinner. Just like if a person in the world does not give themselves their life to the Lord, but they quit sinning, that doesn't make them a saint. That does not make them saved. They have to be created that way. And we need to understand that you and I, who have given our lives to Christ, have been created a new way. You need to think like this. Because... How often so many people readily say, well, you know, I, I'm just, you know, I'm a dirtbag. Oh, yeah, I know I'm saved. But the Bible tells us, do not call common and unclean what God has cleansed. And so if you wouldn't speak it about yourself, why would you say it about yourself? And the reason why people say it sometimes and sometimes people struggle with sin and certain things to a degree they never should is because they don't see themselves as a new creation. They see themselves as just that same old person before they got saved, but now I've got a ticket to heaven. But no, you've been made totally, totally different. You've been recreated, not by me, not by membership in the church, but by God creating you or making you his workmanship in other words he does something to you and that's super important we need to know that and if we're going to walk in God's will we need to know that notice this in Romans and we're going to look at a couple of different verses and these are important to us and important for our thinking we should know this if I recognize what I'm created for it makes things a lot different have you ever gone to buy a car and you bought it uh, for a purpose? You know, I was at the car wash the other day and Scion or Scion or Scion or whatever, however you pronounce the name of it, the Toyota brand, uh, Scion, I believe it is. Well, anyway, they have this new car that looks like a smart car. It's like a smart car. You know, those little tiny ones that Mercedes makes, I believe it is Mercedes. Well, this thing looks as small or maybe smaller 
So I went over there, and I thought, wow. And the guy came running over, let me get your keys. I said, no, no, this isn't my car. I'm just looking at it, you know. I thought, man, I, this thing is tiny. And I said, and, and I, I said, no, my car's over there. And he said, oh, okay. I said, man, you, you can only get, like, two people. He said, this actually has a third seat in the back. And, I mean, I'm telling you, you know, maybe a couple people could wrap their arms. I mean, it was probably like this. And, and I was like, wow. He said, man, the thing is tiny. Now, it was created for a purpose. To carry school children? 12 at a time? No. And, and so we need to understand, we were recreated and created for something. And uh, you'd be frustrated if you had to take a bunch of kids to school in that every day. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? I mean, if you wanted to take a family vacation in that thing, and you got to just, just a couple kids and a spouse, you'd be frustrated. We had a station wagon, and with a back seat and a big place in the back, and we got divided up. And there were only a couple of us. There were three. Get the back. But why? Because when we sat, hey, you're my side. That's my, that's my line. But the car was created for something, and when you try to use the car for something it's not been created for, it can be frustrating. I mean, if you want a commuter car, that's great. But don't get a 15-passenger van as a commuter vehicle and you're single. Because you're going to be frustrated because you're going to think, why is it that I keep spending all this money on gas and spending this money on gas and spending this money on gas and spending this money on gas and I keep spending this money on gas and, man, because we recognize certain things were created for certain purposes. And when we're recreated in Christ, everyone is recreated and there are some things that are identical and other things that are different. And so here's an issue. Don't try to be what somebody else is. Don't be frustrated if you don't fit. It never bothers me to be at home alone. But I enjoy reading, praying, and spending time with God and studying. But I recognize part of what I do is preach, so I probably would be good to study and know something. You know, but if I spent all my time off doing other things, then maybe I would get frustrated on that other side because I wasn't created just to do all that. So don't be frustrated with your life. Some people think, what's the problem with me? Maybe nothing. You with me? Uh, this is why... I think some marriage books are really good and some are really bad. And I'm talking the same ones for the same pe for different people. Cuz sometimes you know you get a couple together, they've got a wonderful life together and they just kind of are good friends. They just go about their business and and then then they go somewhere and they hear somebody say the husband should get flowers all the time. It should be life should be a date. 
And then the wife's like, my husband doesn't do that. And they had a really good relationship until she heard that I'm supposed to get flowers every week. And then what it does is it creates a false expectation. But there are some people just, and I'm not saying don't do that, and I'm sure that wives would appreciate it, but what I am saying is some people are just different than others, and some things, you know, some people just, that doesn't do it for them. But then if you start thinking, wait a minute, something's wrong with me, how come they're not doing that, you can get frustrated. Because there's really false expectations that are placed on somebody. And the husband might be just the greatest guy has been compassionate, really cares and stuff. And he's always cleaning up and doing all this stuff. But he just didn't get flowers. Well, would you like to go to that other one who gets flowers and leaves his underwear everywhere and doesn't flush the toilet and is a slob and, you know, whatever. And uh, no offense to anybody, but I'm just saying, you know, look at what you got, not what you don't got. Hey, you've got to have context if you're writing a book. So why not add that? You with me? I know there are some girls that just, they don't mind if they don't get flowers. They enjoy them when they get them, but I'm just saying we need to understand about expectations. And, and this is true with our Christian life, too. And with God, we need to understand different things. Notice this, and in, in, I'm going to read two verses only because need to, but I'm only going to touch on one part of this. Romans 6, 1 and 2. It says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Verse 2, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin, died to sin, live any longer in it or practice it? What is he saying here? When you got recreated, when you got a new nature, you died to sin. Your nature, dead to sin. It is not in your nature spiritually to sin. Now, you can be tempted if you entertain things and stuff like that, but you ever hear these great testimonies of people when they gave their life to the Lord? You know, I, I've never cussed since then. I got delivered from drugs. I used to kill people like every weekend, you know, because I didn't have anything else to do. And then the Lord delivered me. And I, don't, I haven't killed anybody in a long time. I mean, I've killed some ants, you know, and stuff, but some cockroaches, but just no more people. And people are like, oh, wonderful, wonderful. Wow, look at the miracle God did in you. It's the same miracle in every person. They recognized it. They just started acting on it. Every Christian, that's why you were created a new way for a new thing, and now you're dead to sin. That's why I said you need to think this way. You are now dead to sin. Your nature is not craving, your new creation nature in Christ is not craving wrong. Just like that the dam wants to produce electricity, you, you want to live a certain way because you're dead to sin. Notice this. Uh, turn to 1 Peter 2. This is a familiar verse of Scripture to people, but it says something similar. In other words, we used to have an aimless life, 
And now we're, if, if we were alive to sin, we just went every way. Whatever seemed good, that was our nature. But we've been recreated in Christ to good works. 1 Peter 2 says this in the 22nd, uh, 24th verse. It says, 1 Peter 2, 24, it says, Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we having died to sins, we've died to sins, might live for righteousness. You could see right there that would change the course of the way you live your life from one day to another. I'm dead to sin, so are you. You're dead from an aimless life, but you're dead to sin. Spiritually, you've been made brand new. We are new creations in Christ, so we've been created under good works. Really, you have freedom to walk free from every addiction that would ever try to hold you. Already. It's already done. And you've already been created that way. Notice this in Colossians, and we'll look at a couple of different verses. But Colossians, the third chapter, is a very interesting chapter. And I believe he's giving a solution to you and to me how to walk out this new life. I don't know if I'm going to read. Maybe I'll read a number of verses here. Notice this in Colossians, the third chapter. I was only going to read down around 9 and 10, but for the sake of seeing it in its context, notice this, he said, verse 1, if then you were raised with Christ. Now, if you've been saved, you've been raised. If you've been raised with him, he said, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God or in the place of authority and dominion and all power. Set your mind on things above not on things on the earth. Why would you set your mind on stuff above instead of stuff on the earth? Because the things he's about to describe on the earth, you are actually, if you're saved, are dead to them. You were created for a heavenly destiny and a heavenly purpose. So he said, don't set your mind on these things, but set, them on, or set it on the things which are above, not on the things on the earth. Notice this, for you died. He's like, I did? Spiritually, you had a change. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears then you also will appear with him in glory. Who gets to go to heaven when the Lord returns? Those who have his life. Notice that. He said, when Christ who is our life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. That's pretty good news. Those who have his life, heaven is not for Everybody who just looks perfect and just measures up just a certain way. Heaven is a place for people who have his life. Notice we have passed from death unto life. Now we're dead to sin. We're alive unto him. Heaven is a place for people who have Jesus' life. 
When he appears, we appear. Where? With him. Everybody who is marked by the Spirit and has divine life will be with him. Just flat out. Bam. When he appears, you'll appear. Not here, there. I mean, it'll happen. And who gets that? Those who have his life. And that should answer a lot of questions because sometimes people say, well, you know, I haven't lived exactly perfect. You know, I wonder if I'm going to make it. I know I gave my life to the Lord. I know I've been born again. But, no, it's those who have his life go. But is that all he said? What about before you go? Going is good, but before we go, we get to stay. Here. Let me say hi now. I've been here a few years. But notice he said, when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, or because you have his life. Remember he told you, put your mind on things above because you have his life. Because you've been recreated. Don't just put your mind on worldly things. Notice what he said. Therefore, he told us, therefore put to death your members or your parts of your physical body which are on the earth. Fornication, sex outside of marriage, uncleanness, which is different sexual uh, perversions. Passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming on the sons of disobedience. That's on those lost people. They were, they're under his wrath. In other words, they will be judged on that last day because they don't have Christ. Notice in which, verse 7 you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But remember, we don't live in them anymore. Now, it doesn't mean people don't practice them. He's telling you what to do. Get your mind on things above and start to deal with your physical body because your spiritual man has been made new. Notice this. Verse 7, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him you have a new created way about you inside it is not to be hidden away and just kept in your heart as a private little token of your salvation it is to be allowed to be put on the outside your mind or your body has not changed it, but your spirit is new. It has the love of God in it. It has the life of God in it when you've given your life to the Lord. It has power in it. It has what you need. It has joy. It has peace. It has self-control. Remember, 
Paul writing to Timothy, he said, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but a power of love and of self-control or a sound mind. Well, where is that? It's in you. And he said here, you need to renew your mind and put on this new part of you that's been recreated new. Now, here's the thing. When everybody came this morning, you put something on. I am assuming that no, nobody, I don't think, wore today what you were wearing last night when you went to bed. You out there? You put something on. Here's a revelation. You can't put on what you don't have. You have to go get it if you're going to put it on. And he said here that you're to put on this new man. This Notice how he uses these words here. He said, who created him. So it's back to that creation thing. You were created a certain way. I said, you were created a certain way. And that part of you that's been created is needs to be put on. You know, when the Bible said that you are an ambassador for Christ and you're to share your faith, you are actually created as an ambassador. What does an ambassador do? It go, an ambassador here goes to a foreign country and shares the desires and things of the land from which it came. We're born from heaven. You are an ambassador. You are created to be an ambassador to share, to talk to people. That is, that's why when you do it, there's joy. Hey, when the water goes through that dam at Roosevelt Lake and comes out the bottom, there is electricity because it was created that way. And when we act from the inside and begin to renew our minds so it begins to think in line with who we really are, we can put on on the outside what we were made to be and do. Part of what you were made to do is have a very special relationship with God individually. And that's part of that new man. You were made alive. You became conscious of God. When you're dead in your trespasses and sins, you're not as conscious of God. You might be aware of Him, but it's a whole nother program. That's why God will deal with you to pray, not for works, but to allow that inward man to have that relationship. That's why God will deal with you to, to know Him. And you'll get hungry to know Him. And you'll think, I want to know you, God, better. That's not coming from your old self. That's coming from the new self, trying to get your attention, trying to be put on on the outside. Or you could say it this way, lived out in your life. And so notice this in 2 Corinthians. This is a familiar verse of Scripture. But maybe in the light of these things, it'll have new light. Verse 17, it says, Therefore, 2 Corinthians 5, 17... He talked about all people being dead and then people getting life. And this is what occurs when you get Christ. Notice he said, therefore, if anyone, that's, 
you know, because some people try, like I said, will try to disqualify themselves. Well, they've been set free, or 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 they're different in the sense that, well, they got freedom, but I didn't get freedom in the Lord. I didn't get victory in the Lord. No, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, so anybody who gets saved gets this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. You were created for a real relationship with God, to live a certain way. Now, I'm not talking about works. I'm talking about when you buy a Jeep, why do you buy a Jeep? Well, maybe you want to look cool, but for the application's sake, you do it to go in the dirt. Why do you buy a sports car? To go in the dirt? No, for a very real purpose. And therefore, if any man be in Christ... He is a new creation. There is real purpose to be understood in you being a new creation in Christ. Your spiritual part of you is made new. That's the part we're feeding right now with the Word of God. When you leave here today and you go get a taco or burrito or, I don't like that kind of food, Italian food or whatever you get, a burger fry, you're going to feed your Nat, I almost said your fat man. The, the, natu- the natural man. Natural man. Maybe I was thinking about myself or something. I don't know. But that natural man. But while you're here, you are feeding your spiritual man. You're sp- feeding it. Now, if I, if I took what belonged in the car and put motor oil in me, that's not going to be good. And so these truths, actually, as we hear them, feed this nature. This new created man gets fed and, and rises up and goes, yeah, see, that's what I've been trying to tell you. You're dead to sin. You don't got to live this way anymore. See, there is a purpose for your life. That's what I've been trying to tell you. That's what I've been trying to get across to you. Spirit of God's going, yeah, mm mm-hmm, uh-huh. And you get a witness inside. You know that, but it's because you're being fed by this truth. If you feed on natural things, what does it do? It does something for you naturally. But this new creation needs to be fed, too, properly. And this new creation, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is or she is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God. Spiritually, it's, the old is gone. A new thing has come, a new way, a new creation. But notice what he said. He said, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself. He got us back to himself through Jesus Christ. And then he gave us that same ministry, to get people back to him too. But I'm going to read this in a couple of translations here. Notice this. In the New Living says, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Here it is in the Amplified. Therefore, if any person is engrafted in Christ, the Messiah, He is a new creation, a new creature altogether. The old previous moral moral and spiritual condition has passed away. Behold, the fresh and new has come. 
The old moral condition passed away. That's what we were talking about. You're dead to sin. See? Yeah, when you got saved, you're different. It's foreign for a Christian to live that way. That's why people's conscience hurts them when they live that way. Because you are already set free. You were already changed when you received the Lord. And when you live out the other way, you actually start walking out God's will and His purpose. You start becoming the salt of the earth and the light of the world. You become the city that cannot be hid, that's on top of a hill, that shines out. That's you. He said, would any man put it under a bushel? No, he said, put it out there where it could be seen by every... That's you. That's your new nature. Somebody said, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm adopted. Yeah, the Bible said you've been adopted, accepted in the beloved. If you've given your life to the Lord, you're in, and this has happened to you inwardly. Now, I want to read something here. I've read this verse before, before we close, but Ephesians, the fifth chapter. And, I, and it seemed good, and then I just thought, it doesn't... I thought, does it fit? And I looked at the definition. I saw something in here I've never seen before. And I was like, I was excited to read this verse before we even started today. Ephesians 4, or 5, 14, I'm sorry. Ephesians 5, 14. Maybe a familiar verse to you. He was talking about Christians, you know, not walking in darkness anymore. Well, of course, now we could see why. Because we weren't created to walk that way. You have a new nature. And it's the natural way of life to serve and know God. Now, no, we live in a world that, that pressures and stuff like that. But it's your nature to live with him and for him. Notice this in verse 14. Therefore, he says, Awake you who sleep and arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Notice that. Awake you who sleep. Arise from the dead. Well, who's he talking to? He's talking about Christians. People who wake up have to have life. Right? You can't wake somebody up who's dead. I, I, I don't know. I think I told this story the other day. I don't know, maybe a week or so ago, I was going to go hiking up above my house. and so there's, or, or, or maybe I was going to ride my bike. So... Just above my house, there's this parking lot. It's just over a mile away. So I drove up and thought, I wonder if there's people here or how empty it is. So I drove my car up because I was driving home, just spun around in the parking lot. And as I spun around, I saw a guy, and it looked like he was working in his car. You know where the fuses are underneath the dashboard? You know. So I thought, okay, he's right there working on him. I thought, oh, he's stuck. You know, It was actually one of the warmer days. So I spun around again in a circle. Thought, I wonder if I should help him. So I yelled. I said, hey. And I realized this dude is not moving. I'm like, hey. And there's nobody there. And anybody who's there, I mean, maybe a couple cars, but nobody's around. And, and so I got out of my car. It's still running. Walked over to him. I said, hey. And he's not moving. And I'm over him. And I see his phone on. And he's just like this, and his knees are bloodied and everything. And I, like, he crawled back to the car. I thought, he's not working on this car. He's unresponsive. And so I'm thinking, uh, I just found a dead guy. 
So I'm like, hey, hey. And finally he moved it. I, uh, I said, and I was like, man, this guy is in bad trouble. I thought he's walked up here. He didn't bring any water or something. Didn't know what he was doing. He had a heart attack or something. So, I mean, he is just virtually unresponsive. He looked dead. Matter of fact, at first I thought, wow, I just found a dead guy. You know, you don't always find a dead guy. That's just not totally common. Like, what were you doing today? I was, I was out, you know, I just found a dead guy. Oh, me too. I was over here and found a dead guy at Walmart. And, oh, awesome. I wasn't there. I was at the gas station. There was a dead guy. Oh, cool. What would you do? Nothing. I just figured somebody else will get him. A lot of dead guys nowadays. <laughs> it's not real common. So I'm thinking, man, this guy is dead. And then he finally starts to move, and I could barely get a response. And I said, do you have somebody I can contact? I'm thinking, I'm calling 911. And finally, he could respond a little bit. So I call 911. They show up. The first policeman there, he turns the corner and he thinks, he tells me later, he said, dude, I thought that guy was dead. I said, me too. Why did he look dead? Because he looked like a dead person. He was doing what a dead person does. <laughs> right? What do dead people do? They're always dancing, <laughs> woo, shouting. No, they're doing nothing. Right? So when he said rise from the dead, a dead person is someone who's dead in trespasses and sins, living a sinful life. Right? But he said, you're dead to sin, so therefore you're alive. See, this help you walk in God's will. So when he said here, awake, you who sleep, he's saying you have life. And then he said, arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. Now, we all might be living the right life right now, but if there is someone who's not, this was incredible because I knew he'd give us light. I looked up the meaning in the Greek and I was like, whoa. I thought anybody who's ever struggled with obeying God and knew I need to make a change. When I read this verse, I thought, oh, this would excite anybody who really felt like they ever needed to make a change and just go for it with him. Because what it said, he would give you light. I know because he prayed that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, that he'll flood you with revelation, because he talked about that a couple chapters, a few chapters before. How that, you know, and people who get excited about the Lord see stuff of the Lord. That's really the connection to being excited with the Lord, is seeing truth and revelation about him. When you see stuff about him and it's alive, you're excited. Oh, Jesus. Oh, and somebody's like, yeah, Jesus. No, 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 Jesus. Yeah, yeah, Jesus. No, no, when you see it, you go, Jesus. And, and, and you're excited about him because you get flooded with light. And he prayed in the first chapter that they would, the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened. But here, this is a different Greek word that's never used in the Bible, period. And it's used twice in this verse. And it's kind of hidden in one part. But when he said, and Christ will give, that's really light. And then it says, you light. But here's how it reads. And I was like, wow. Anybody who's 
living a way that's contrary to their nature, if they will rise up and take a step and start going after their way of life, the way they've been created, anybody, he said he will give you light. Now remember the context is a man sleeping. This is exactly how the Greek reads. It means to shine upon. Here's the further part of it. Christ will pour upon you the divine truth as the sun gives light to men aroused from sleep. I'm going to read that again. In other words, you know how when you wake up in the morning and you're aroused from sleep and there's new light shining in? That's basically what he's saying. Anybody who will rise up and make a stand and start going after God, he said he would flood you with divine light and truth just like the morning sun gives light to men aroused from sleep. Basically, he's saying, I'll just flood you with revelation. You know what that will do for you? It'll stimulate your relationship with God beyond measure. You'll go, oh, Jesus. But what do you have to do? You have to take that first step to get out of bed. What do you mean by that? Well, he said, arise from among that place, and you will get flooded. Now, here's the thing. You might be living right for God and doing what you're supposed to. You should expect him to continually then flood you with light and truth from the word of God.